Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm so glad you're with us today for episode 10 of Hope for Hard Times. The title of the episode today for Sunday, September 10th, 2023, is Christians and Work. Well, welcome aboard and let's go right to it. Noted economist George Carlin, the comedian, (laughs) he said most people work just hard enough not to get fired and get paid just enough money not to quit. That seems about right, doesn't it? Groucho Marx says, no man goes before his time unless the boss leaves early. Edgar Bergen said, hard work never killed anybody, but why take a chance? (laughs) Somebody that I've really benefited from and, and really like is Zig Ziglar. And Zig said, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. Think about that. Tom Goins said this, as I've gotten older and wiser, I discovered that there are six things that I really loved about my job. Payday, lunchtime, quitting time, vacation time, holidays, and of course, retirement. And that's, that's how too many people, an increasing number, I think, look at their employment. Dennis Miller said the easiest job in the world has got to be coroner. Surgery on dead people. What's the worst thing that could happen? If everything went wrong, maybe you'd get a pulse? <laughs> That's funny. And that great Greek philosopher, Anonymous, said, I always give 100% at work. 10% Monday, 23% Tuesday, Wednesday, 22% Thursday, and 5% on Friday. Someone else said that getting paid to sleep, that's my dream job. (laughs) One more from Groucho. The problem with doing nothing is that you never know when you're finished. (laughs) Here's good advice from a... NCAA coach who won with the UCLA Bruins. I think it was eight national championships at UCLA in basketball. John Wooden said, make each day your masterpiece. That is a great way to look at work, not just something to be endured or to get through. And then legendary NCAA football coach and sports commentator Lou Holtz said, now listen to this, this is really good. Your talent determines what you can do. Your motivation determines how much you're willing to do, but your attitude determines how well you do it. And Five-star General Dwight Eisenhower, architect and leader of the D-Day invasion, said this, 
You don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. British economist and historian Arnold Tornby said this, the supreme accomplishment is to blur the line between work and play. And a lot of people try to do that, but most aren't very good at it. They end up uh, playing at their work and working at their play. That's the way I see it. He also said that civilizations die from suicide, not by murder. And in that area of work, that's a that's a real area to look at of whether a country is succeeding or failing. In his Christian classic, which I'm reading through again this year, I don't do it every year, but I've done it a few times. Oswald Chambers has a book from years ago called My Utmost for His Highest. That would be a great book for you to read. It's just a like one page a day for the entire year a new page each day. He said this. In fact, I read it this morning, which is why I put it in this episode. Crises always reveal character. So if you're having a hard time in your work, your employment, your job, and you think it's a crisis, it's telling you more about you than it is about what you do. Now, let's lay out some ground rules here before we look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 relating to working and jobs and employment. Number one, and I'm not going to go give you the verses for these. You can read the Bible yourself, and it's all over the Bible. But here's one thing you've got to know starting right out the gate. Work is a gift from God. Oh, Pastor Ed, that can't possibly be. I hate work. Well, listen, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God and mankind fell into sin, before that, work already existed. Adam and Eve had jobs in the Garden of Eden. They were to tend the garden. Uh, Adam named the animals, for example. So work is a gift from God. And in, we, we know this in the Bible, this is a, just a major truth, and I don't have to give you a verse to prove it, just read the Bible. And it's especially uh, very clear to Christians in the New Testament, work is commanded by God. If one verse says, and I'm just paraphrasing it, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. Say, oh, that is so hard. Well, listen, we understand that people get sick and injured and can't work and all that. We understand all that. But if somebody's able-bodied and refuses to work, then let their hunger get their attention and drive them to get with a program and work. You know, that's, that's what it's saying to Christians. That's how we are to look at it. All right, now, here's the truth. After we've said work is a gift from God and work is commanded by God, I know you're probably saying, well, well what went wrong? <laughs> because you know something is wrong, and I understand. Work is hard after the fall of man. Work is hard after the fall of man. God told Adam that he would, uh, he would be able to, you know, 
make it after the fall, but it would be by the sweat of his brow. You know, that the what would be planted before and grow, no problem. Now it's a problem. Everything's a problem. Life is hard. I like the quote by John Wayne, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. <laughs> Think about that. Don't be like that, right? So work is a gift from God. Work is commanded by God. And work is hard after the fall of man. And probably right about now, you're saying, preach it, Brother Ed. Man, is it ever hard. And it is. All right, now, before we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, you need to know something. This is going to be a shockeroo to some of you. Arnold Toynbee, yeah, the same guy, the British economist and historian. And by the way, he's written like 12 volume, it's like 12 books in a series, for example, about just about slavery. Is, is that amazing or what? And other, other historical works describing, you know, man's situation and all of that. Anyway, he said that in the Roman Empire, there were an estimated, listen to this, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Other historians and writers range it anywhere from 5% to, you know, more than 50% of the population of the Roman Empire were in slavery. The point is, it was a whole lot of people. And I want you to think about what I'm saying here. Probably a major percentage of the church to which Peter writes first and second Peter and the New Testament is written and all of that. Probably a major percentage of the church, the Christians, at some level and in some way were enslaved. That's really amazing, isn't it? So that makes what we're about to read in a few moments even, even more important. It explains why Peter is going to write something to those who were slaves. And I was thinking about it this way, and I, I'm not saying this to be funny. I mean this. Suffering as a slave was the normal Christian life for many Christians in century one of the church and probably beyond that for probably hundreds of years beyond that. It was better than a 50-50 chance that the Christians that met, let's say, in a community, they were the church in that community, a pretty good percentage of them, if maybe not even most of them, were enslaved to someone. And we need to explain this because right now, your mind is whirling. You're saying, this, that can't possibly be. Everybody knows that slavery only existed in America. Well, yeah, that's what some people kind of want you to think. Uh, woke people and all that stuff. But listen, if you just read history, you'll find out differently. There, there um, well, let, let me go ahead and say this. There are differences between Greco-Roman slavery and Spanish slavery. Did you know that? There are. I even studied this a little bit. I brushed up on it this morning. 
Pastor, what are you talking about? What is a Greco-Roman? What is Spanish slavery? What is that? All right, here we are. Let's lay it out. Here's the differences between the, the type of slavery that existed in Greece and in the Roman Empire after that, and what we, we never call it this, but the slavery that people usually think of in America was actually it derived from Spain, Spanish slavery, and I'm going to explain why and, and what the differences are. In Greco-Roman slavery, there were people of all races from all over the known part of the world that, you know, were involved at all with Greece and Rome, that, you know, the Mediterranean Sea area. I mean, you could be white, black. I'm, I'm assuming if you were Asian and you lived in that area, you could be impressed into slavery. The point is, it wasn't racial. It was just like, we won, you didn't serve us. You know, like in a war, the survivors serve the victors. The difference between Greco-Roman slavery and Spanish slavery, although the Spanish did not like go get slaves and sell them, but they, they used, they worked primarily through the Muslim people of Africa who enslaved other tribes and sold those tribes as they defeated in battle to the Spaniards. And then the Spaniards dispersed African slaves all through their colonies and in America and all over that part of the, the world. And here, here's the biggest difference. That was race-based, that Spanish slavery. Do you know where I first learned that? Like almost 50 years ago in college, when I took a uh, tandem set of courses African-American history from such and such a date to such a date. And then the second one was from that date to, uh, you know, present times. And Dr. Jack made, made this point. He said the Spanish slavery specifically was based on enslaving a certain race, the, the black people in Africa. And I don't know if you ever heard that or not, but anyway, that's the big difference. So when we're going to read in a moment that there were slaves in the churches that Peter wrote his letter to, they were of all races, baby, from all over the known world around the Mediterranean. And, and I'm going to explain why right now. Now, the Bible does not approve of slavery. That is often a, uh, that, that is like really an old charge that's been used for hundreds of years against the Bible and Christianity, and is is not accurate. The Bible does not approve of slavery. Slavery is not a good thing. In fact, we know from historical documents, as far back as 3,500 B.C. mentions slavery all the way back, and it probably went farther back than that. This is all we found so far. But here's what happened. When mankind, I'm talking about Adam and Eve and their descendants, when mankind said, no thanks, God, we'll go our own way. When mankind did that, what mankind did not know but soon began to learn the hard way 
is that way, you know, their way instead of God's way included all kinds of sin. Death, that's the biggest thing. That's the equal enemy of all mankind. Death, war, labor. I mean, whereas work in the garden before the fall was a joy and a delight, now it's, it's just drudgery for a lot of people, right? It's hard. Disease and things like slavery. God didn't. Incre- God did not create slavery. Fallen man, with lots of help from Satan, created things like slavery and war. Now I want you to think about this this way. If you're a Christian, this will make total sense. If you're not a Christian yet this will still help you to think about this and maybe play a part in some way of you becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this paragraph. Satan made sure to totally wreck the wonderful world God created for man to enjoy. And nothing escaped the taint and the corruption of sin. And slavery is no, is no exception. It is part of Satan's plan to just make this, and I, I don't say this uh, glibly, but make this a hell on earth for everybody. When God created the world before the fall to be like a heaven on earth, So if you want to get mad and blame somebody, pin it where it belongs, on Satan. Now, the Bible does not approve of of slavery. That is, you're not going to find any verse that says, hey, there's no slavery in this society, let's get it started. You know, it's not, that's not the approach at all that the Bible takes. Here's what the Bible does in the Old and New Testament. The Bible regulates slavery. It's an evil, but it was already there since the fall of man. Thank you, Satan. And the Bible regulates that slavery. In other words, it tries, it doesn't try, but it puts controls on this evil of slavery. Now, did you know that Christianity and the Bible ended mass slavery in the West. There's there's no country in the West that officially has a program of enslaving an entire population within its country or, or another country. Yet things like human trafficking, a gross evil, and slavery... They still exist, even in the West and all over the world, and they will be present until the kingdom of God is forcibly established on the earth by Jesus Christ at his second coming. And we saw, uh, if you were reading through Revelation, when I went through Revelation before First and Second Peter, uh, you will remember that we just read the end of the book of the Revelation. I think it's um, 
I can't remember the chapters now. It might be Revelation 17 and 18, somewhere right in there. But anyway, you'll see that. Now, the Bible in a fallen world that rejects the Lord and his word largely does provide a, a governor over, a regulator over the evil of slavery. Now get this picture. Now I'm done with my history lesson, all right? Get the picture. Let's talk about you. And I want you to get a vivid picture of this. Imagine this. Somehow you were not exterminated by the Roman legion that just defeated your people. That's good, right? I mean, not that my people got defeated, but I didn't get killed. All right, that's good. I'll give you that. Now you're faced with two choices. You can be called a slave or you can be called dead. What's your choice? Come on, right now, what's your answer? You're saying, all right, if those are my two choices, a slave. Now, it's not all bad. You say, well, uh, yes, all slavery at all times, every time, in all situations, it's all bad. That's such a... Uh, you know, a, um, let, well, let me explain why you need to rethink that a little bit. If your two choices, you can be called one of two things. You can be called a slave or you can be called dead. What are you going to choose? You're going to say every time, if that's it, I choose slavery over death. Okay. Now, did you know that if you chose slavery instead of just having yourself killed because you refuse it, that there is always a possibility of escape, although that would be very, very, very hard. People did escape. And this is one that people don't think about. But let's say it was a Christian that was in this situation and he ended up enslaved after one of these epic Roman battles. All right, so... Maybe escape is not realistic, but maybe that slave, it's you, by the way, remember, started out the way, maybe if you can't escape, or until you can escape, let's say, you get really good at what you do, and there's a possibility of advancement. That is, instead of digging in the salt mines, we notice that you have an amazing ability to do math. Anybody can dig in the salt mines. We want you to handle our books, our financial books for our business in Rome. So, but well, that didn't happen, Pastor Ed. Oh, yeah, yes, it did. There were, there were many slaves in Greek culture and Roman times that were really, really good at whatever they did, and they were advanced. They became highly skilled and they were very valuable and were basically, you know, legally they might have still been slaves, but they were no longer treated as slaves. They were treated as if they were free because their ability was highly valued. And this will blow your mind. It was possible for some of them to become free citizens. 
Did you know that? Hey, hey, do your study and prove me wrong. But actually, if you do your study, you're going to prove me right. And it's pretty much about like it is now anyway. <laughs> Everything I just described. Did you know that if you're in a job that's terrible, hey, get really good at something and perfect that until you're the best in your community, the best in your state, the best in the world, and you won't be treated like a slave long. That's a fact. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And let me, let me explain something here. Since I'm pretty sure it's unlikely that I have literal slaves listening to this podcast, I, I guess it's theoretically possible, but probably not. I'm talking to people, you're not in slavery, you probably never would literally be a slave, but you feel like one where you work at your job and what you do for employment. Sometimes, even if you own your own business, you feel like you're enslaved to your business. How does, how does this work? I mean, how can you keep from getting your faith and your Christianity and your witness all messed up in difficult situations related to work, jobs, employment? All right, the Bible addresses that. Now, in, in other places in the New Testament, the Bible explains some things that slaves are not to be doing and that they are to be doing and all of that, but we're not going into every verse in the New Testament about, about this. But let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, and we can draw some great insights, even though we may not literally be slaves right now. <laughs> you, you can learn how to, how to apply this with God's help in your work, your job, your employment, and it'll just be better for you. All right? 1 Peter chapter 2, let's start in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. That word servants there is a Greek word, oikites, and it appears, at least from the study I did on it, it appears to not mean every slave that could possibly, you know, type of slave that it could exist, but especially people who worked around the homes of these masters. So say, well, how come it doesn't say all slaves? I'm thinking that if I'm digging in a salt mine somewhere or a gold mine somewhere, I'm not ever going to be allowed to get out of it to go to a church. I will probably pretty much live and die in that mine and not even be buried. I'll just be left there if I'm that kind of slave, I mean, the lowest kind, right? Like a rower on one of those ships you see in the Ben-Hur movie. That person is probably not going to be in church, right? <laughs> so the people that, pe that Peter's aiming at here are the Christians be that belong to these churches who are able and have the freedom to be part of a church. Maybe a church that met in a nearby home. I don't know how all of this worked, but it appears that this is are certain types of slaves. So they're told here, be subject to your masters. You know, we get our word despot from the word used here, the Greek word that's, that we use masters for right here. These are really bad bosses. 
really mean, ornery slave masters that own these people who work around these homes and businesses of these, these masters, these despots. And it says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That is, there is to be a, um, you know, fear can be a good thing if you don't let it control you. It can keep you out of a lot of danger and out of a lot of situations you don't need to be in. Let that kind of fear, like you don't want to be beaten, you don't want to be fired, you don't want to lose time because you're being punished at work. Well, that kind of fear can help you keep your mouth shut sometimes or uh, kind of rein in what you feel like doing, like punching the boss in the nose or something like that. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, this fear really, by the way, as we'll see in a minute, is, is toward God. We really are reverent of and we properly fear the Lord. But that translates practically in this situation. Now, he says here, not only do the good and gentle, so we know from that that there were good and gentle uh, people. There were people who owned people as slaves, but they did not abuse them or mistreat them, or it wouldn't say that. Not only do the good and gentle, but also to the froward. These are really bad dudes. Like, all right, if I have to be a slave, I thank God every day I'm not the slave of that person over there, because they are a walking nightmare. Amen. But guess what? Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good in general, but also to the froward. These are the perverse, crooked, wicked type of people that own slaves as well. And let me help you out a little more. I'm just saying, I'm still back there that there were people who owned other people. Think of it as their economy. The people trapped in it, they didn't come up with that economy. They didn't build it. It's just what it was. Can you change everything today, right now, that's wrong with our country? No. But you, you live in it, and you have to navigate it. Same thing then. We ought to be less critical of people whose sandals we've not walked in. Verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So if there were Christians who were trapped in slavery, you know, and they were being mistreated even when they had not done anything wrong, and they still dealt with it where they, they got up under that load. They just went through it and asked God to help them every day. Well, that's something that makes people sit up and take notice. Like, hey, it's totally amazing how you got ripped at work and you didn't even do what the boss said. And the reason I know is because I did it and I didn't take responsibility but you just endured it. Can you imagine the impact that has on somebody? Wow. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. 
So, well, I don't have to suffer wrongfully. No, you don't. But the Bible is saying here that when a man has God in view, there will be the times where you just say, you know, can't prove I'm innocent, can't change the person that I work for, and I'm just going to have to deal with this. Lord, help me. When you can do that at work, that's a good thing. Because you know it's going to happen at work. If it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. Verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? That word buffeted means there, I mean, really be really be busted in the chops. I mean, I'm assuming when this was written in that time, physically beaten. I mean, beaten bad. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, like I did it, I can't believe I did it. It was so stupid. Why did I do that? You know, I was wrong. I absolutely deserve the punishment. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? Like, well, yeah, you should. (laughs) You absolutely should. You deserve it. But if when ye do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Wow, that that gets God's commendation right there. And many of these, hopefully none of these Christians who were in slavery were doing anything wrong, but we know from other New Testament passages, uh, they had to be talked to about this, you know, like maybe talking back, or uh, stealing things, you know, that kind of thing. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even, this is going to blow your mind, people, right here. For even here unto, it's like it's saying, for this thing, for even hereunto were ye called. Now, who, who causes God? God is calling me to suffer? Are you kidding me? They didn't tell me this when I came to Christ. But if you'd have started reading your Bible earlier, you would have already known this. <laughs> Verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Really, Pastor Ed? That's what it says in English and Greek. For even hereunto were ye called. Called to what? To to do the right thing and get in trouble for it. (laughs) To be doing your job right, to serve correctly and still suffer for that. Now, why would, why is that true? Verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, Did he have to do that? No. From a human viewpoint, should he have done that? And we would say, no, not really. He did that because he loves us, right? Because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So the the picture here, 
is just as Christ suffered unjustly, he suffered, but it should have been us, but he suffered for us. So we have an example from the Lord Jesus Christ where um, the, the idea here in this verse is, you know how when you went to school and maybe they had those little papers when you were young uh, that you could, you could look at the paper and try to make the same letter on your page. And I think some of them were even where you could trace over that letter so you could learn how to write your ABCs. That's the picture here. And we should, we should follow his steps. We should, um, the, the whole picture of this verse is this, that we, we should copy the Lord Jesus Christ very, very carefully. Like, like an investigative journalist. How did he do this? What did he do? What did he not do? Now look at verse 22. Here was the answer to that. Who did no sin, he, he was not a sinner, never sinned, period. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile is like tricking people, deceiving people. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what he did? Like if you've got an especially evil boss or supervisor that you work for and it's bad, Pastor Ed, trust me, it's bad. You know what? You should do what the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the example of. Copy his example. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. It's the idea that he turned his case over to God the Father to, to handle it justly. Verse 24. This is beautiful, people, right here. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The picture in verse 24 is the idea of offering up a sacrifice. Well, Christ himself was the sacrifice that, that he offered up for our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, many people read that last part of the verse, by whose stripes ye were healed, and they uh, want to go in the direction of, the, of healing as in the atonement. I don't even want to discuss that because here's why. In this verse, it's all about sin, spiritual. 
Does the Lord Jesus Christ heal? Absolutely. But this, by whose stripes, that's a Greek word that means like what your flesh would be like if it was hit with metal continuously, shredded. By whose stripes ye were healed. Healed from what? Being dead. To, dead. You know, we were hopeless. And because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his sinless blood to pay the price for our sins, we can be born again and forgiven of our sin and have eternal life. Amen. By whose stripes ye were healed. Verse 25, for you were as sheep going astray. And you know what? That's just what sheep do. You got to herd them constantly. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So I don't know if this episode helps you today at work. Maybe you've got an unreasonable boss, an impossible employment job or work situation. Possibly somebody's listening who's trapped in some form of slavery or oppression. But this is God's word to you today. Now, before we end the podcast, I want to share a quick story with you. True story. The man I'm describing was as hard as nails. He was a retired Navy veteran with a 50-year wake of relationship wreckage in his past. But one day, he heard one short Bible program and 10 minutes into that program, he humbled himself before Jesus Christ and was born again. And he was sick at that time and he faced death in a hospital bed without fear. You might be at the point where you need to quit fighting God and give up to him and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you by what he did on the cross and his resurrection. And he will do that. You might want to talk with someone about this important decision. Call 888-388-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. A counselor will discuss this with you and help you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or begin to grow as a brand new Christian. Now, if I'm still here, the rapture hasn't happened and I'm still alive next week, I'll be back with episode 11 of Hope for Hard Times. Hey, be a missionary with me. Like this episode, follow the podcast, and share the podcast with someone right now, right from where you're listening. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and maybe we'll be together again next week. Bye-bye.